Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast with your hosts, Yasmina and Ari, who will be uncovering gems of wisdom with Jewish educators from around the world. To support our podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Jewish Education Experience Podcast. Our guest today is Charlie DeGutker. Our guest today is Charlie DeGutker. Charlie is currently a Judaics teacher at Farber Hebrew Day School. He graduated from the Polytechnic University in New York with a Master of Science degree in Management. He received a Bachelor of Education from Chachva College in Israel with a concentration in Special Education and Hebrew Literature. Prior to joining Eula, Charlie was principal of Masoret Yehudit and Judaic teacher at RASG High School in Miami, Florida. Charlie was also head of Hebrew and Judaic studies in Allentown, Pennsylvania and Silver Spring, Maryland. Charlie's background includes serving as assistant principal in Odessa, Ukraine, and he was extremely efficient in implementing study programs for teachers and students. He also organized a March of the Living trip to Poland plus a two-week journey learning in-depth study of the Holocaust in Ukraine. And Charlie has spent considerable time in Israel as a special education educator and school counselor. One of his specialties was to advise and help build additional projects. While living in Ashdod, Israel, Charlie was an advisor for teenagers with criminal backgrounds. He structured all of their social and behavioral education. And while he was in Beersheba, Charlie was sought out as a consultant to a youth village, which is where he implemented educational curriculum for children at risk. Hello, Charlie. Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. Will you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you began your journey in education? Yes, so a little bit more about myself. Uh, my name is Charlie, like you said, I'm working in education almost now, actually. It's 30 years now. I started in 1992, actually, when I was in my service. I was, I get, I injured in my hand, and then I was supposed to do a, a surgery and a recovery. So the army released me for the service. So... While I was waiting for my surgery, I started working with a, a kid with special needs. He was 14 years old. I started working with him as a like a big brother. And I think that was the moment that changed my life, I think, because my dream until that time was to be a basketball player, playing basketball a lot. And wow. when I started working with this kid, it was like four times a week, two hours each time, just to give the family to heal and to have their own time because he really needed a lot of attention, this kid. And after six months, I finished my surgery. I volunteered back to finish my service. And when I went back to the army, the social services sent a letter to my commanders, to my unit, and they asked them to release me to continue to work with this kid because we had so much success with this kid that they didn't want him to regress and to go back so the army released me. I used to go to the service and I used to go back from the army just to work with this kid. 
that was the changing moment for me. I decided after that that I'm going to study special education to be a teacher. And the social services continue to give me more and more kids to work with. And the groups after that, and uh, this is how I became to be an educator, actually. It's uh, really changed my life, this kid. Wow, what a profound impact that you had on this young man. And that encouraged you to go into education. Do you still work with kids of special needs right now? No, now I'm in America. I'm working more with uh, uh, private schools in America. I travel over here a lot. I worked in different states in America. I think uh, the last time that I worked with kids uh, with special needs, uh, kids with uh, emotional or special uh, services in Israel, it was with uh, when I left Israel. In Israel, my specialty was to work with kids with criminal background, gangs, and that was my specialty, actually, behaving problems and all of this hardcore uh, type of kids. And when I came to America, it was a different uh, kind of kids. It's private schools, kids uh, much different than what I used to in Israel. For sure. So where in Israel are you from? I am from Ashdod. Very nice. Um, actually, my husband and I, we met in Israel. and uh, I live in the U.S. for 16 years now. I didn't visit enough. I, I wish I could do it more. For sure. Are there any educators that have inspired you or whom you particularly admire? Uh, as a kid, if the question is about me as a kid that I look up for teachers or something, I didn't have anyone. That's why I think also this is one of the things that I decided for myself, that I'm going to be the teacher that I never had. So I never had because I, as I said, my dream was to play basketball. So all my time, I was cutting classes. I was sitting, going to the basketball court, playing basketball. And no one really cared what I'm doing and, or where am I. As a kid, I never had like a teacher that really impacted me, that really changed my life or tried to do something. I was like passing through all the elementary, middle, and high school was like passing it through. Right. So that's really um, interesting that you were able to turn that because you didn't have an educator that really um, impacted you in that way that you are able to do that for your students. And the student that you mentioned, how you started in education, and I'm sure you're able to do that with all the other students you've influenced over the years. I will tell you, I think that the most uh, gift that I have is that I, I started with to work with kids outside of the schools. I work with kids with very difficult problems, criminals. I work with gangs, with Russian gangs, Ethiopian gangs. And going from this to go to classroom and dealing with the behaving problem or dealing with problem in the classroom, you have different perspective of dealing with the problem and talking with the students in a different level. And I think this is the gift that I have, that I can communicate with the kids in a different level. And I keep in touch, my students, and I see it because the best thing is when students come to me years after and is telling me how I impact their lives and how much uh, I change their lives. So it's really uh, amazing to see a student coming back after 10 years. After I had someone that I worked with him when he was 13 in Israel, 
and I lived in LA and he came, he came to me actually when the pandemic started and it was the really uh, social distance and everything. And he, he moved to San Francisco and he, he was, he is in forties now and he came to visit me and he actually wanted to see my kids, not to see me even. And when he came to my home to visit my kids, he told them how much I'm, imp- he, told, he told them the story of how I changed his life. And, wow. and I'm talking about a kid that I worked with him when he was in his bar mitzvah I did for him in Israel. And now he's 40 with family, with kids. And the main thing for him was to tell my kids how much I changed his life. And that was amazing for me and for my kids. It was really to see who was their dad because they always hear stories and now they saw it live. So it was nice. That's so amazing to uh, hear that. I'm sure your kids must have thought, wow, that's really cool too, to hear how you've impacted someone else. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they see it a lot. They, now when they much, I have my oldest one is 17 and he's in the high school and you see also I'm with his friends, they're coming and they're opening up and they're talking with me and I'm telling him how much I am important in their life. So he see it live now. My kids can see it live, so it's nice. That is really nice. Can you remind me what age group you're working with right now? Is it high school or middle school? So now, usually I work in the high school, but because the school that I'm working, it's a little bit smaller, so it's middle school and high school. So how do you talk about God, and how might this differ with the various age groups that you're working with? Um, To talk about God in my class, it's in every single thing. And giving examples, and uh, the difference in the age group, it's actually, when you work with the middle school and high school, it's uh, a little bit, the difference is really small. It's not such a big difference. The way that we approach God and we talk about God in this school, it's a modern orthodox. Most of the kids coming from the same background, so it's uh, much easier uh, to address it. But uh, it's going to the halakha that we're studying, tefillah, the holidays that I'm talking about. It's always there. Do you find that your students are willing to talk about God or do they kind of, I don't know, I think of typical teenage, you know, group that they, you have to really pull it out of them? Um, I think that, I think that the way that I speak with my students is very open. And they're not afraid to ask difficult questions. And I like this conversation. I like this challenge. And I will tell you the most, you know, in, with the teenagers that they're looking at every single thing that happened in their life or most of the things that happening is very challenging and everything is a crisis. Everything is, and then you need to tell them that everything is for good and how it's for good and why it's happening to me. And actually, I give them example about myself because I am a true, because when, as a kid, I was learning to play basketball. And actually, the injury in my hand changed my life for good because now I told them, I'm telling all the time, I'm playing, I used to play basketball for, let's say, until I'm 30s and no education, no nothing. But now from the injury, I start working with kids. I start influence kids. I start doing stuff in my life. I went, I finished my high school diploma. I did my uh, education degree. I did my master's degree. I continued my studies. So it was actually, the injury was for good for me 
but I didn't see it in that time. And that's what I'm trying to teach them and to see everything in the right way. Well, I've definitely found that too in my experience. The more that we share our own personal experiences and how God or Hashem has really influenced in our lives. And I'm sure for you at the time when you were younger, you were probably so disappointed and not being able to continue your basketball career, but it's good that I was trying. I was trying. But, and then it took a while to really figure out, right, that you had another calling. Yeah. Do you still play any basketball at all now? After Now I'm after five soldiers, actually. I, can't, I don't have any movement in my wrist. Wow. Uh, but still I'm shooting and I'm trying, but not, not like I used to be, for sure. For sure, wow. Um, yeah, it's so, so amazing to uh, hear your story and how you were able to use your strengths that you had to, um, in education. Speaking yeah. of uh, education or chinuch, it can be a little bit of an amorphous term. How do you define education or chinuch? So chinuch, for me, it's a, it's, a post, it's a progress. It's a process that you, of learning, but it's not only learning. Because, you know, when I'm looking at education, you know, this is the a discussion or debate that I had with many teachers. Are we teachers or are we educators? Because the teacher is the one who comes to the class and teach, and he doesn't care about what's going on with the classroom, where the standing, what's happened. He have the curriculum that he needs to finish, and he's teaching it, and he's gone. Educator, it's actually be, being there to teach the learning, skills, values. It's actually combined of action that it's influencing the behaving of the student and actually shaping the character of the of the students so this is how i see education not just to transfer or to teach the another chapter in humash or do something like this it's more about being there and to understand where is my student and then to take what i'm teaching and to communicate with them about their level and where they are i agree 100 and i'm glad that you establish that difference between what's an what's an educator and what's a what's a teacher uh, I think hopefully gone are the days where it was just frontal teaching where just the teacher was always the one speaking and there wasn't much input from the class from the students do you, I think that's pretty much changed right um yeah I think so I see it a lot but I see also teachers that coming also just for teaching and you can see in the classroom, the students study for the test, and then after the test, they forget everything. They forget it. So it's not actually teaching. I don't see it as a teaching experience. So it's just to memorize the materials and then take it out and forget about it. So. And then you think about that. How do we establish uh, you know, future generations, people who want to continue being Jewish, if all they're doing is learning stuff just for the test, right? And then they're they're done with it. Yeah, so uh, the way that we establish Jewish education, it's like, for me, it's first to understand why we're studying it and why we're doing it. Because if, if we don't need it, why are we going to a Jewish school? Let's go to public school. Because the value that you're going to Jewish schools is because of this, the value of the learning and to understand why we are there. And the Judaic okay. studies and then the Hebrew, the Hebrew language, and, and that is the what is the 
this is the gold or this is the diamond that you have in your schools. And that's what we need to pass to the students and the importance of this. Because science, math, everything, they can go to public school, they can study it. It's much more cheaper and it's uh, more time they spend on uh, learning all of these subjects. But what is really matter? The matter is who we are. And this is what, we, if you believe in that, you can pass it to your students. And then they're going to own it. If you don't believe in it, you just come to teach and you just want to finish with the class and you're going away, the kids aren't going to take anything from you. That's so true. Since you mentioned Hebrew, um, how much of an impact does Hebrew play with education? The way that I experienced Hebrew over here in the U.S., in the school that I worked in, Hebrew was always the uh, free time for the students until I'm getting there. And for them, it's like, okay, it's an easy A or we don't need to do anything. If they, It's also coming from students, most of the parents, it's to make it important to show the kids that I'm taking it seriously and they're going to take it seriously. And when you do it, the kids are going to study. And I did it over and over again to make this sure that the students would understand how much it's important, how much it's, uh, it's not just the language that you're studying a second language. You can study Spanish, French, whatever you want. But Hebrew is who we are and where we're going with the Hebrew and the connection to Eretz Israel. And if you're coming and you're taking it seriously and you come prepared to the class to teach and you're not just showing videos, the students will take it seriously and they will study. Do you have any tips for really immersing our students in Hebrew so that they get more comfortable with the language? I will tell you, in my classes when I teach Hebrew, I always make my students to speak and I always time them. I'm putting stopper for each time that they speak because... In my age, when I teach in high school, middle school, high school, the students already in Jewish education, studying Hebrew from kindergarten, they've been there for nine, ten years, and they don't know how to speak even for, let's say, for two minutes, they can they can't have a conversation. So what I'm making them, I'm enforcing them to present, to do presentation in Hebrew. But the presentation, they need to write everything in English. Okay, they write everything in English. And then they need to speak about it in Hebrew. And I'm teaching them to think in Hebrew. This is the way that you work with the kids, that they will be able to feel comfortable. They need to stand in front of the class. In some places, I even used to record the video of my students speaking in Hebrew. And each time we extend the time, we work on it. We work how to speak and we teach them. We teach them the grammar because, the unfortunately, the, the thing in the classrooms in Hebrew, it's like teaching them past, present, and then they get to the next teacher and they continue with the past and present and then the next teacher and the next teacher and they're never studying it in the right way. So I I, I created something that they studying the whole Torah Tapoal, the, the verbs and how they're going to use it in a sentence and then they're making them speak in the right form, in the right way and we're extending the time and actually... Um, we see success in it. I, I started to work with kids in places and they started to speak in the for, beginning of the school year. First presentation was like 40 seconds, one minute. By the end of the second year, by the end of the first year, the first year, the final was like 15 minutes conversation. The second year, it was much more. 
but it always was to push the limit and to show the kids that they're able to speak and then they're not afraid to speak. It reminds me of um, how kids learn, right? Because even just kids learning English, they learn just hearing what we say and they kind of copy words and this and that, not so much focus on grammar that comes later. Um, so that sounds like such a great way to learn Hebrew. Yeah, and they're more active. Instead of just sitting and studying the grammar over and over and over again and practice the reading, and it's actually they are very active preparing the presentation and thinking what they're doing. And in my presentation, for example, each time the topic is different. For example, the last presentation in my class, I asked them to teach me something that they're studying in general studies in Ivrit. And it's really nice the way that they, they're taking the classes and the um the choosing classes that they really like and then they teach it in Ivrit. So they take science, they take math, history, each one whatever he likes, and then they're explaining everything in Ivrit. It's really nice to see it. And uh, I spoke with the general studies teachers and they gave them credit for doing it in my class. So they have credit twice, one in my wow. class and one in their uh, general studies class, whatever they choose. Yeah, I really love that idea. That's it, yeah. Maybe uh, other schools will also implement that. I, I know there are other schools that have done some Hebrew immersion, and they have other Israeli teachers and whatnot, but I really, really like that idea, especially for for the age group that you're working with, middle school and high school students. That's definitely something that they can do and should yeah. be encouraged. Because I always, I mean, I went to Hebrew school growing up, and Obviously, it wasn't a day school, so we didn't have that full immersion of Hebrew, but I felt like I had a, a pretty good foundation of being able to speak with, with people here and there. But I do find that that's something that's lacking here in most schools, that they don't really have uh, the time or the wherewithal to really um, enforce that Hebrew learning. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, what do you find to be your biggest challenge that you faced as an educator? I really enjoy what I'm doing and doing it for so many years, uh, working with kids and connecting with the kids. It's like, I really don't know what is the challenge that I'm facing. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... No, uh, it's okay. Wow. Well, how do you stay motivated then, Ted, to continue being an educator? I will tell you, because each time that I'm going to my class, it's a different class. It's like I'm working with my students, it's like, it, I'm not working with the material, I'm working with kids. So this is how I sit. So each time, each class, each, every year that I'm coming to the classroom, I have a different classroom. I have different kids. Even the kids that I taught in the beginning of the school year and now they are different kids. It's the teenagers, you know, right. they're, they're changing a lot. And this is what I like. This is the, my excitement of going to the class and meet with the kids and to teach them. It's not about what I'm teaching. I think it's the interaction with the kids that I really like. And this is what motivating me because this is what matter. Not, uh, I don't, in the end, I, I think that what the kids are going to remember when they're going to go up, you know, each one of us have an educator, like you asked me before, that most of us have it. An educator that you have it, you have 
a memory of him for good or for bad, okay? But you have a memory of someone, but you're not going to remember, no, I remember this Humash class or this uh, science class that was amazing. You remember the person, the relationship that you had with the teacher for good or for bad. And I think that's what is important, the relationship that we're getting with the students. Because that's what they're going to take with themselves. The changing and the influence that we have on their behaving and how they're going to take it to their life. Uh, I definitely agree with that. And um, I think with all of the curriculum, the requirements, we have to teach this, this, this. They need to know this amount of chumash or this amount of Gamara, whatever it is. I think sometimes educators, we get caught up in all of those details and we sometimes miss that relationship building aspect of education. And it's like, if you don't have that, you kind of lost them. Yeah. Um, then why you are there? They can, I will tell you, they can look, they have enough YouTube uh, videos about what you're teaching. They have enough uh, uh, knowledge to study by themselves, to take, open the, uh, how everyone likes to call it, Rabbi Google and study whatever they want. So why you are there? You're actually over there to be the extra value, to bring them the value that they don't have in the self-learning. This is what uh, the difference that I see. Definitely. What advice would you give to new Jewish educators who are just beginning their journey? So I will give them a few advices. One, if you want to be an educator, don't go over, don't be an educator because you want to make money because you're not making money in education. So this is the first one. The second thing I would say, if both of the, the both of the couple are educators, I would say that one of them will need to go to make money, and then the other one will do it for 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 himself and to to teach others. And I would say, don't go to teach only the materials. Go be an educator because you love it, because you want the interaction with the kids. And it's not about, it doesn't matter what age you're teaching, elementary, middle, and high school. In each age, each one feels comfortable in a different age level. And when you come to the class, it's what you have in the classroom with the students. And, and that's what is the most exciting thing, being an educator that you need to open up to be flexible, to read your class. You, you need, it's something that, you, it's a skill that you learn with the years. It's not something that you come with it right away. And the most, uh, the, I think the best advice that I can give to anyone that wants to be an educator, to be patient. Because it's come, it will come. It will come. You just need to be patient. That actually is great advice, and um, for sure, being patient definitely can't come out the gate thinking that it's going to be super easy or that you're really going to um, jump in there and just be the best teacher right off the bat. You're going to have to uh, make mistakes. and No, you ha- exactly. You have to do mistakes. You have to understand, and you have to, you, ha- you have to be patient and to reflect all the time. To check in the end of the day, don't rush to go home. You know, sit and try to understand what's happened to you in that day, what you did good, what you continue, what you're going to continue 
to do for tomorrow or what you're not going to do or what happened with one of the kids that you said something and maybe your heart is failing maybe to take a take him to a conversation because you were too busy about thinking about what you were teaching right. and you didn't pay attention that you said something and you actually hold someone's feeling and the kids are going to remember it that's what they're going to take so be patient be patient and reflect definitely and how important would you say it is to have a mentor or other educators that you can collaborate with or bounce ideas off of or you know just learn with too I think it's really important uh, to have someone that you can talk with in school or outside of the school and to brainstorming and to think loud about uh, what you're doing or how you can do it better and to have an experienced teacher to guide you. Um, I think it's really helpful if you have the right one. Definitely. How do you think we can help our students build a strong Torah foundation? Strong Torah foundation. I think it's starting from early age when we treat the students and we're doing with them the value of the Torah with the fourth grader that they're starting to do Mesibat Sidur and then Mesibat Kumash. We show them the importance of this and we teach them not just to accept everything, we teach them also to ask questions. Uh, and the Torah, it's always there. It's always in our life. It's always in our home. But um, when you talk about it, you need to open it for discussions, to questions. And we don't know all the questions and to look for the answers with the students. And It's okay to ask questions because if you're going to show the students that it's it and that's it and you need to accept it, no one, especially in the older ages when they start asking questions and they start being teenagers, they, they need to search. You, sometimes even if you know the answer, give them the time to search because they need it. Yeah, sometimes we make the mistake of giving them the answer or giving them our perspective and we miss out on that opportunity like you said of having them search and, and really dig into themselves and and figure things out because when they're going to do it when because to you call it the spoon feeding them right yeah when you give them everything and you tell them the answers and you give them everything that you know it all So they're accepting everything from you and, okay, it depends on your relationship with your students. Okay, if they respect you, they're going to accept it. If they don't respect you, they just, some of them will be quiet waiting for the end of the class and they're going to leave. Some of them will challenge you, but if you're going to tell them, you know what, let's look for it together. I'm going to try to find something or you go find an answer and let me know. Let's open it. And when they're going to go to this journey of finding an answer and asking different people about it and coming with a solid answer that is going to be theirs, it's going to be theirs. They're going to own it. And that's what's going to keep them, and they're going to take it with them all the way. So I, I see it much more important than just to give them the answer and just to answer the questions and to know it all. 
And that's our purpose too. I mean, we're supposed to always continue learning and digging and um, we're never done, right? We're, we're never Maybe. finished. No, if you work in this field, you have to be always searching and always changing what you're teaching. Even if you teach the same subject year after year after. I never keep my papers from previous year to the next year. I always prepare my class, the first class, the first lesson that I'm teaching. I need to fill my class. And then I'm teaching the subject in matching to my students. And you never have the same class, you know, the same uh, characters or in the same classroom. The dynamic is different each time. So what was good for my previous class, it's not good for this class. And I need to be ready for that and I need to prepare differently. I don't like the teachers that I, I used to like to, uh, I used to call the teachers like with the yellow pages, you know, the teacher that had in the, they start working 20 years ago, they had the, everything, all the model, lesson plans ready. After 20 years, all the le- papers become to be yellow and they're st- still teaching from the same pages. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the worst thing that we can do to our kids and to our students to teach from these yellow pages. I believe that I like to do it in this way. I know that it's much uh, more work for me, but to come to a class and to start teaching, to see who I have in my class, what will be the best way to teach this class? And then I'm going to teach them. Speaking of that, are you typically teaching uh, Chumash or... um, So now it's actually half enough. I was... Um, over here now currently I'm teaching Humash Alakha and Navi and also Hebrew classes so it's um, it's mix of everything okay which actually that's really good because I, I was talking with a, a friend a former educator and he was just mentioning one of the challenges he sees is um, with um Nath in particular not really diving in so much or not having the time I guess to dive into um the other works of Tanakh like people for the most part dive into Torah but sometimes the other aspects don't always get addressed into detail um do you find that you're able to give your kids your students a strong um foundation in all of Tanakh no no, but I will tell you uh, something. I, I agree with uh, what the educators were talking about, uh, about covering everything. We cannot cover everything. We, with all the holidays and the activities in the school and everything, we never cover everything. But I will tell you something that I I actually took it from Israel. They have what is called 929, chapter a day. We have in the whole Tanakh, we have 929 chapters. So I started two and a half years ago, almost a group in my, I used to work at the Eula Boys in LA. So I was talking with them about this subject. Actually, I was very open with my students and I was telling them that we never studied the whole Tanakh. We're always missing something and we're always studying the main stories or whatever the Rebbe is thing that it's supposed to be or whatever we have in the curriculum. So 
we started the group chat. I started the group chat with my students, and every day I'm sending them, uh, I'm sending in this group chat uh, one chapter a day. We started from Bereshit, and every day from Sunday to Friday, they're uh, receiving a, a link to the chapter of the day. They receive actually four uh, links. One is in English, one is in Hebrew, one in audio, and one a little bit more in detail if someone wants to study the chapter a little bit more. And every day they're receiving it. On Friday, they receive the summary of everything that we did this week. If someone needs to do a makeup, if he didn't have the time to read it, so they have the Shabbat to do it. And from 929 chapters, we are standing now in 730, actually. We are in Sefer Mishlenah. And we're still keeping up with the reading. Every morning, I still send the message, uh, this message. And we're having this group chat uh, around 65, 67 students. And it's not just the students. We have parents and we have people from... Israel that I know from Canada, from now some uh, families over here joined to this group. And we're actually reading and studying every day, one chapter a day. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah, it's, um, I guess that's it, right? Little bites and yeah. that's how you have to we, do it. We can do it. We can do it. We don't have to do it in the classroom. We can be creative. We can make the connection and we can do it. Uh, in a different uh, setting you know it's every single moment we have a moment of teaching or learning a moment that we can do with everyone and I'm also learning with them so everyone wins it's true and then it's good for them to see you learning also like you're just you're in there in the trenches with them too not just so you know making them do it no exactly um, so last question here, what is, or what do you think successful Jewish education will look like in the future? Well, successful Jewish education, I think that we need to teach our students and our kids it's to be more curious, challenging the teachers in respectful way, but challenging. I think that we need to change the way that the, the school setting is going from informative teacher is talking and the students are listening and writing summary and then the, the get, getting a test on what they're learning into actually, you know, we have uh, most of the school, I think all the schools in the U.S. have Hanoch Lanar al Right. Right. But actually, how many schools are actually doing it? Because in the end, everyone getting the same final, everyone getting the same test. And the only difference that you have is extended time. And that's it, actually. So it's not not, uh, it's the standards that you put and you give to the students. Uh, If we are actually talking about I will tell you what I did in my uh, midterms this uh, semester, the semester that was just uh, finished. I told my students, I said, each one of them have his own talent. Each one of them have his own way of learning. So we're studying Navi, Ezra, Nehemiah. I told them that they need to come up with a project about what we study, how it affects our life today. And they need to give me, the only thing that they need to approve 
is the rubric how I'm going to grade their project. Okay, so if you're good in art, make an art project, but you need to give me the rubric. How I'm going to grade your art project, how I'm going to evaluate. If it's an A, if it's a B, how do you think that I need to look at your project and I need to give you a grade on it? And they took it to a so, so many beautiful places that if I would give them a test, I'm sure that most of them will get a good grade because they were studying and they were participating. But actually, it's what comfortable for me to give them and to check it. But when I give them the option to do what they like, so one of them was, she did an amazing project about, she created a, she created a, what is called a cartoon with the story of Ezra Nehemia. And she actually, she wrote it as a book and she did it in an amazing way. And she saw how it impact her and how it's impact our life today. And other students took the, a mixed marriage from a, the story in Ezra and how it's with the, dealing with this today and, and uh, all the, the problems or the discussion that we have now in Israel about the giyur and, and about the marriage and about the Rabbanut and she actually brought a lot of uh, points that they're dealing with, they used to deal it in that time and they brought it today. Some other students took it to comparing between Atzarat Koresh and Atzarat Balfour and how it's still relevant to our lives today. So if I would give them a test, I never would see this project. I never would see my kids' creativity and my students' abilities to perform. And I think that we need to do it more. I agree. And like you mentioned, that gave them that ownership that they were able to come up with these projects and, and give it their own. And they were learning just the same. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. That's really amazing. Um, well, Charlie, thank you so much for taking the time to um, speak with me and be featured on our podcast. Um, really learned a lot from you and. Uh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye.